a disciple. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus and turning to them he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but... If it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Them hear. Mm. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, give you praise that you are the God of the whole earth, uh, the God who made us, uh, and the God who has made himself known to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that we have the, the opportunity now to uh, sit and reflect on these words of Jesus, that we might know him, and through him we might know you. And Father, we ask that you would do that for us through your Holy Spirit, that you would give us understanding uh, and that you would also give us uh, uh, hearts and uh, wills that are uh, eager to obey your words and to uh, receive the call of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, as Chris said, we're uh, doing a series at the moment here at the branch on the basics of what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be a lifelong learner of Jesus, a lifelong student of Jesus. Uh, Last week we looked at the heart of discipleship and we looked at those beautiful words of Jesus, come to me all you who are weary and laden and I will give you rest. That invitation of Jesus to those who are burdened, to those who are weary uh, and that invitation to come to him and to take uh, up his yoke and to learn from him and in doing that Jesus promises to give us rest from that weariness and that burden uh, that we experience in life. It's uh, that wonderful uh, offer of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, uh, for people who are burdened uh, and and heavy laden. But in this passage that we're looking at this morning, it turns out that that grace of God, that offer of the gospel that Jesus presents, doesn't come cheaply. Jesus shows us in this passage that we're looking at today that although grace is free, it costs us everything to receive it. 
right up front here in this passage that Chris read for us, uh, Jesus outlines three different costs uh, that uh, are bound up with following him. And he does it in uncompromising language. It's hard line. He says, first of all, in verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus says that in accepting his invitation to come to him, we have to hate our most precious relationships. That's a pretty extreme thing to say, isn't it? What does he mean by that? He doesn't mean, Jesus doesn't mean uh, hate in the sense that we understand that word. After all, Jesus tells us uh, in other places that we're to love our enemies uh, and to do good to those who persecute us. Rather, what Jesus is doing is he's using a, a very forceful way of saying that our relationship with him has to have the absolute priority. Uh, If we want to be Jesus' disciple, every other relationship has to take second place. We have to be willing to give up any of those other relationships uh, in order to take up the call of Jesus. We have to be willing to give up those other relationships if they come between us and following Jesus. We have to be willing to give up our relationship with our parents or our children or our brothers and sisters or our best friend, even our husband and wife, if those things come between us and Jesus. Uh, For some people, that's probably more real than it is for others. There are some people here who have perhaps lost friends and family Uh, or communities, because they've chosen to follow Jesus. Following Jesus has meant for those people the loss, not just of casual friends, but of relationships that have been formed and built up over years or decades. And it's not that they've chosen not to have anything to do with those family and friends, It's rather that their decision has meant that their family and friends no longer want to have anything to do with them. It's not that they've closed the door on people. That's not what Jesus is saying. But he's saying that in taking up that call to follow Jesus, other people have closed the door on them. So some of us may have experienced that, that great cost in that way, But even where we haven't experienced that kind of separation or rejection, Jesus' call to follow him often still has a deep relational cost. So following Jesus often means not quite fitting in with other people around you. It means not quite fitting in at work uh, or not quite fitting in at the footy club or not being at that party that everyone else is at because you know that that's not going to be such a great place to be, but that has a relational cost, doesn't it? You miss out. Following Jesus can mean being an outcast because of what you think about the world, how you understand the world, what you think about moral issues, what you think about what's most important, what you do with your time. That can affect the way people see you and relate to you. Following Jesus can mean not pursuing 
relationships, not pursuing a romantic relationship. It could mean, following Jesus could mean not ever marrying, either because Jesus has called you, you feel, to remain single, or because you're committed to Jesus' call to marry only other followers of Jesus. It's important to understand as well, I think, that giving up our most precious relationships to follow Jesus doesn't only mean giving up bad relationships. It doesn't just mean being willing to, to, to suffer rejection from others that you're close to. Putting Jesus first in that relationship above other relationships can also mean giving up good and precious relationships too because Jesus is calling us to be somewhere else, to do something else. For some people that means leaving uh, friends behind to go into ministry or to the mission field. For some people it can mean not them going but seeing their friend going or seeing their child go, or seeing their grandchildren go, accepting that they'll never see them again. When Adoniram Judson uh, was heading to Burma, uh, he, uh, the, same, the same day I think he met this girl. It's like, what's going on? You know, he's trying to go to the mission field and he meets a girl uh, and he, wants to, he, wanted to, he fell in love with this girl and he wanted to marry her. Uh, but that meant taking her uh, with him to Burma uh, and taking her away from her family uh, and everyone that she knew. And so when he was proposing uh, to this woman, uh, he wrote this letter to her father. He said, I've, I've now to ask you whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of wanton distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all this in the hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory, with the crown of righteousness brightened, with the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her saviour from, from the heathen saved, through her means from eternal woe and despair. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I want to marry your daughter and you'll never see her again. Following Jesus means putting Jesus above our most precious relationships, the ones that we hold most dear. Second, Jesus says in verse 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So Jesus is calling us not only to give up our most precious relationships, he's calling us uh, to give up everything to him, everything that we own, everything that we possess. Whatever he asks us to give to him, we have to be willing to, to give that up. Uh, what does it mean? Uh, it means coming to Jesus and saying that nothing that belongs to us is really ours. 
Nothing that belongs to us really belongs to us. We're, we're kind of entrusted with it. Uh, I remember once one of my lecturers pray, praying, Lord, help us to be wise with the money that you've loaned to us. It's not ours. It belongs to God. If he wants it for his kingdom and his mission, it's his. If he wants us to get rid of it, we have to do that. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, Jesus said to him, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. That was what Jesus required of that man. But he couldn't do it. And he went away sad because he loved his money more than he loved Jesus. What following Jesus looks like for each of us will look different, but it will never involve anything less than complete abandonment of everything that we have to Jesus. Following Jesus for you might mean selling your house to downsize so that you can fund the message of Jesus to the unreached. Following Jesus might mean surviving on a single income so that one of you can give yourself to uh, work in the church or in the community. For the woman at the well that Jesus uh, saw, putting everything into Jesus' hands meant putting all the money that she had uh, into the the temple uh, treasury. It was a pittance for most people, but for her it was more than she could afford. For the Macedonians that Paul mentions in 2 Corinthians, giving everything to Jesus meant their poverty welling up in rich generosity, giving giving beyond what they could afford. It might seem extreme uh, to do that kind of thing, but people really do it. You know, sometimes we think, oh, it's just... It's just the people in the pages of the Bible or people in the pages of books. It's just the the great missionaries that we read about in biographies that do that kind of thing. Ordinary people don't do that. But when Kate left us recently to take the gospel to the unreached, she left more or less with all her worldly possessions in a suitcase. I think of a dear friend of mine who's plugging away with his wife and three children uh, as a pastor of a church in rural Victoria. He's been there for seven years. He's never been paid for more than three days of the week, I think. He's worked more than that. Three kids. Uh, In the last year, the church has had to reduce that, I think, to about one day a week. They just don't have the money. He started working on a farm to pay the bills, but his heart's not really in farm work. Well, it is. He, he kind of likes that kind of thing too, but he wants to stay because nobody else wants to go to rural communities to pastor churches. They want to sit in nice cities with cafe cultures and good restaurants. Or I think of my mother's family who were so impoverished at times when her father was training to be a pastor that she and her sister would eat first at meals and then her parents would only eat after they'd finished because there wasn't enough food to go around. 
extraordinary, isn't it? But it's not just money. When Queen internationally returned home last year for a few months, I remember talking to Ashley and her saying, one of the things that struck her was seeing on somebody's wall, you know, the chart that you measure off how the kids have grown over the years. And she said, as I saw that, I realised what it was that we and my kids were missing out on. Just, just stability. Just being able to look back and to remember those things that we take for granted. That's the cost. You might look at people like that and you, and you might think, well, they're special cases. They're heroes of the faith. But actually, they're just ordinary people doing faithfully what Jesus had called them to do, counting the cost and giving it up. Following Jesus for you might not mean downsizing to a suitcase or rubbing, going home and rubbing the kid's height uh, chart off the wall, but it does mean putting everything into Jesus' hands and saying, Lord, this is yours, not mine. You do with it as you want. And following Jesus doesn't mean just giving up lots of stuff at the beginning and then over the rest of our Christian lives hoarding everything again and building up more mountains of things. But giving up everything to follow Jesus means daily giving up things to be faithful to Jesus. So following Jesus costs us our relationships, it costs us our the things we have. Third, Jesus says in verse 27, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So Jesus says, not only do we have to put him above our things and our relationships, but we have to put him above ourselves. We have to, in verse 26, Jesus says, hate even our own life. The prophets of self-esteem would be greatly disturbed by, uh, by that kind of word, but that's what Jesus is saying. We have to put ourselves second. And he says, he puts that in the imagery here of taking up our cross, of dying to ourselves. Uh, Jesus means that in dying to ourselves, we need to die to uh, whatever is in the place of him, die to our desires, die to our desire to rule our life, die to our desire to keep our lives for ourselves. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, every call of Christ leads to death. Uh, or as it's often translated, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. What is Jesus calling people to? He's calling them to death, to die to themselves. And that call to death, please understand, for some people is not just metaphorical. I think of our dear brother Ben uh, in the Middle East, whose housemate held a knife to his throat because of his commitment to Jesus. Now he hopes to go back to his own country to make Jesus known. And yet that, but by the grace of God, means likely death. But what a long way that is from the kind of Christian lives that we live. 
I often hear Christians, uh, whether it's young or old, talking about their plans, plans for the future, plans for a changing career, plans for a new house, an extension, a holiday, whatever it might be. But I rarely hear and rarely say myself, that's what I'd love to do, but you know, if God is calling me not to do that, well, so be it. I'd give it up in a heartbeat. You know, I think unless we're actually, unless we're willing to actually die for the sake of the gospel, I suspect we'll find it very difficult to die to ourselves day by day. We're happy to follow Jesus, I think. We just don't really want him to tell us what to do with our lives. And we kind of hope that he won't ask. We kind of pretend not to hear or maybe don't dig too deeply because if we do dig too deeply, then we might have to say no. Whereas if we don't dig deeply, we can just kind of pretend that we don't know what he's actually calling us to do. We live a kind of a costless Christianity. We know who Jesus is. We rock up at church when it works. When it doesn't work for us, we don't do it. We read our Bibles if we remember. We pray when things go wrong. But does following Jesus cost us anything? As soon as Jesus' commands get in the way of what we do, do we move away from Jesus or do we keep pursuing him? No, the life of of discipleship is a life of taking up our cross and dying daily. Jesus says that following him will cost us everything. It will cost us our relationships, it will cost us our possessions, and it will cost us our very selves. Well, having outlined that cost, Jesus goes on to tell two parables that urges people to sit down and to think about that cost, to to work it out, to calculate it, and to think about whether they're willing to pay it. He says in verse 28, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Jesus says that the problem with not sitting down at the beginning and working out what the cost is, is that later on you realise that you don't have enough to finish and so you can't complete the project. I was going to say it's like a bad episode of Grand Designs, but it's really like any episode of Grand Designs. (laughs) Someone sits down with a back of the envelope uh, uh, calculation and uh, and they get halfway through the build and they realise that they don't have enough money to do it. And in the same way, Jesus says, if people don't count the cost, what happens is that halfway through their life of following Jesus, they just kind of stop. And and don't go anywhere. They get stuck along the way because they've never worked out what it's going to cost them to follow Jesus. And they've never worked out whether or not they're willing to pay what it's going to cost. For some people, they stop and they walk away. They give up the gospel. They give up any kind of external appearance of Christianity. They're like 
that seed in Jesus' parable that grows among the rocks. It shoots up quickly. But then when the persecution and the hardship comes, they say, this is not what I signed up for. But for other people, they, they just stop. They just stop halfway along. They don't appear to give up the gospel. They don't kind of give up an outward in a kind of appearance of Christianity. But they've stopped following Jesus. They do nice things. They rock up at church. But they've stopped along that path of following Jesus. That's like the seed in the parable that grows amongst the, among the thorns, that grows, but then is choked by the worries and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Those people begin, but they get along the path and they say to themselves, it's too much. It's too costly. I'll just, I'll just stay here and hope for the best. But Jesus says we have to count the cost. Too often we call people to Christ without encouraging them to do that. But Jesus says that if we don't call people to count the cost, then they won't make it to the end. Jesus says you've got to sit down, you've got to work it out, you've got to put it all on the table and you've got to say, am I willing to pay that? But so often... We just want to get people across the line that we don't give them the time to think. So many churches try to get people over the line in the heat of the moment. So people turn down the lights and they wind up the emotional background music. But all that does is invite people to make, make a decision in the spur of the moment without counting the cost without sitting down and doing the calculation. And Jesus says, that's terrible because they won't make it to the end. If Jesus was here, I think he'd say this. I think he'd say, stop the music. I want absolute silence. And turn up the lights. Because this is the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. And you need to be thinking with absolute crystal clarity about what you're doing. Jesus says we've got to sit down and we've got to calculate. So too, I think, in an effort to get people over the line, we not only hurry them along, but we kind of sell all the benefits without mentioning any of the costs. We're like the worst kind of used car salesman. They're a good, they're a good used car salesman, Wiz, don't worry. <laughs> but we're like the people, aren't we, who... The shop, the shop assistants that we fear, that don't really tell us what the problems are. We say to people, it'll be great. You'll follow Jesus... You'll never have a care in the world. It won't cost you anything. Just come to him. But Jesus says when we do that, we're selling people 
a fake, a fraud. We offer to people what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. This is what he says about cheap grace. Cheap grace means grace as bargain basement goods, cut-rate forgiveness, cut-rate comfort, cut-rate sacrament. Grace is the church's inexhaustible pantry from which it's doled out by careless hands without hesitation or limit. It's grace without a price, grace without costs. Cheap grace is the justification of sin rather than the justification of the repentant sinner who turns away from sin and repents. It's not forgiveness of sin which separates those who, sin, those who sinned from sin. Cheap grace instead is grace that we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without repentance. It's baptism without the discipline of community. It's the Lord's Supper without confession of sin. It's absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without the living incarnate Jesus Christ. In other words, what he's saying is we come to people and we say, here it is, it's free. It costs you nothing. We say to people, God will forgive you. But we forget to mention that we'll have to give up our sin in order to receive the forgiveness of God. We say to people, come and find life. But we forget to mention that actually following Jesus means taking up our cross and dying to ourselves. It means facing persecution and hardship. We say to people, come and find treasure in heaven. And we forget to mention that that might mean poverty on earth. Tragically, we lower the bar to try and get people over the line. But the the problem is we don't get them over the line because we've moved the line. They They think they've come to Jesus, they feel good about it, but they haven't. Jesus says you have to count the cost. Jesus doesn't lower the bar for discipleship. He raises the bar. If you want to come after Jesus, you need to sit down and count the cost. And that's a pressing question, not only as we present the gospel to people, but it's a pressing question for us too, because we need to ask whether we've done that, whether we've counted the cost. Have you sat down and thought to yourself, yes, I know what the cost is and I'm willing to pay for it. Or was it a kind of an impulse buy? Oh, that looks nice. Perhaps I'll follow Jesus. Here are some questions, I think, which can help us think through, not just now, but today and this week and through the month ahead, some questions that can help you think through the cost of following Jesus. I encourage you to uh, write these down and, uh, and to pray through them uh, in this month ahead. Here are the three questions. What's the most precious relationship that you have? What's the most precious relationship that you have? Are you willing to give that up to follow Jesus if that's what it takes? Are you willing to lose that if that's what it takes? What's the most precious thing that you own? What's the most precious thing that you own? Are you willing to lose that if that's what it takes to follow Jesus? 
And finally, what's your greatest hope for your life or the most cherished aspect of your life? And are you willing to give that up if that's what it takes to follow Jesus? Jesus is calling you to give to him everything. Your relationships, your possessions and your life. And he's calling us to count that cost, not just once, but every day. Counting the cost is a daily reckoning. Every day we need to work out what it costs to follow Jesus and to keep committing to paying the price. So Jesus lays down the cost. He tells us that we need to sit down and think about it to work it out, to work out if we're willing to pay it. But then the last parable adds another dimension, I think, that we can easily skip over. So if the first parable is about working out the cost so that we make it to the end, the second parable is working out the cost so that we make the right call. So Jesus says in verse 31, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king, won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Uh, In this parable, what the king has to work out is whether he's going to go to war or whether he's going to surrender. That's important because it turns out that he only has half the number of troops at the other side. So if he doesn't sit down and do the maths, he's going to go into battle and he's going to be defeated and he's going to lose everything. On the other hand... If he sits down and he counts the cost, then he'll realise that he can't win and he'll surrender. But here's the trick. It's a great parable. Here's the trick. In both situations, he loses everything. If he goes into battle, he'll lose. He'll lose his kingdom He'll lose everything he has. He'll be destroyed. But if he sues for peace, he'll lose everything as well. He has to give up everything. He has to give up his authority. He has to give up his kingdom. He has to give up everything he owns because he has to surrender it to the other king. He doesn't even get to keep his own life. He has to give that up to the other king as well. But he does get peace. And he does get to keep on living amid the life and the peace of the greater king's kingdom. You see, Jesus is calling us to surrender everything. It's only when we surrender everything to him that we get anything back. Jesus promises us that if we surrender everything, uh, we'll receive peace and life from him. In Matthew's Gospel, he tells us that we'll receive back 100 times what we've lost, as well as eternal life. But we have to surrender. We have to give it all to him. But we want to be able to sue for peace. We want to be able to make peace and keep our kingship. 
We want to be able to make peace and keep everything for ourselves. We want to be able to make make peace and keep our lives in our own hands. But that's not the choice that Jesus gives us. Either we hang on and we go out to battle and we lose everything or we surrender everything and we gain life. If you want to gain the whole world, Jesus says, you have to give it up. There's a picture I saw uh, a while ago that captures, I think, the tragedy of our human situation. Cameron, you just want to flick that up for us? I don't know how many times you've caught a plane, but every time you catch a plane, there's one rule, isn't there, about escaping from an aircraft. That is that you have to leave everything behind because stopping to pick it up might mean your life is lost or the lives of those around you are lost. This isn't a one-off, by the way. In fact, it's par for the course. You can find hundreds of images of people escaping from planes carrying their luggage. There's one photo that I saw of an Emirates flight that crashed a number of years ago, and you can see the plane in flames and smoke behind a mass of people pouring across the tarmac with their laptop bags and their wheelerboard bags dragging behind them. The plane had just crash-landed and burst into flame, but they stopped to take their luggage with them. They would rather hang on to everything and die than let go of a few possessions and live. It's a parable, I think, of our human condition. We can't let go. But that's why Jesus says we need to sit down and count the cost. Because if we don't count the cost, we'll make the wrong call. We'll hang on to it all, we'll go out to battle, and we'll lose. But if we sit down and we do the maths, we'll realise that there's no choice but to surrender everything and to gain life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, it's, a, it's a hard word. It's a hard word for us to hear what it costs to receive the free grace in Christ Jesus. Lord, Because it's a hard word because our hearts are so deeply wed to everything but you to our relationships, to the things that we have, uh, even to our own lives. Uh, and Lord, it's that hanging on to those things that has got us to this position in the first place, into a world wracked by sin and misery. So Lord, you, we pray that you'd help us to sit down and to 
count the cost, to realise how much it does cost to follow Jesus, that it will cost us everything, it costs us our lives, our very selves, everything that we hold dear has to come second to Jesus. But Lord, help us to be able to sit down and to realise that that's worth it. Lord, help us not to hang on to anything, but to just offer it up to you. Lord, we want to do that now again, to give to you all that we have and uh, all that we hold dear and all that we are. Lord, we offer that to you, uh, that we might follow Jesus uh, and come after him and be his disciples. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. to our close for this morning morning tea will be served there'll be coffee and tea there remember the meeting this week for leaders and Tuesday night growth group lists at the back have a look at those if you're not in a growth group put your name down somewhere or talk to the leader on that list if you want to know any more information and of course there's the barbecue straight after this service Let's go with these words and let this also be a heartfelt desire for each of us, for each other. From Thessalonians, Paul would write these, this greeting, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way, the Lord be with you all. Let's sing our final song, This Life I Live, that's right, isn't it? This Life I Live is our final song.